Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. All right, Matt, Christian, man, great to have you guys on. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having us, man. Excited to be here. <laughs> I understand it's morning uh, happy hour at your office, so this can be a fun episode. Absolutely. It's just oh, yeah. after lunch, so it's uh, beer time. <laughs> it's beer 30 um, in Florida. Uh, let's see. All right. So if you don't mind, maybe give a, you know, a quick um, background story of, of yourself and your work and, and how you guys got to uh, do what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Matt Zerman. I'm the CEO and president of Beast Code. Um, I started as a software engineer. Um, Christian and I were two of the founders when we started Beast Code in 2014. Back then, we were doing uh, 100% of the engineering work and business development, and we still do a lot of that. Uh, but now we do a lot more with managing the company and administration and finances and contracts and all that. Yeah, and so uh, some of our core competencies, we, we do a lot of uh, live simulations for the Department of Defense. Uh, so we do really cool things with threat analysis. We can do... Uh, you know, flow diagrams, we can do uh, 3D damage assessments on a system so I can go in and blow different things up and uh, come back to the government and say, hey, this is this is what's wrong with your system. Um, so that, that's that been a really, really cool system. It's, you know, held us over for a really long time and impressed a lot of people. So we're able to actually roll that, that initial damage scenario environment into a training environment. So now uh, we could take this same 3D environment and actually put it in front of a, a sailor or, you know, an infantryman and actually show them how to use these different systems that they're being assigned to. So instead of uh, just saying, hey, good luck, have fun on this ship, we can actually give you training before you actually get to the ship. So how do I how do I get to the bathroom, right? I mean, me as a nerd uh, coming onto the ship for the first time, I was able to use our 3D simulation to find the nearest bathroom, to find coffee, you know, to actually get around the ship and not be lost. So, I mean, implications for people who are actually operating these multi-billion dollar platforms for the, for the Department of Defense are, are uh, you know, really, really needed. And not just training, we've been able to take that training application and then also use it for an operational app. So me as a, as a sailor that is going through school is using this training product to learn how to do engineering. But then once I get to the ship, I can go to a piece of machinery and use this mobile tablet solution to click on it and get all the technical documentation and actually walk me through what it is that I need to do for that day. I mean, it sounds like a super logical thing that you're doing that I know, you know, maybe up until last five years, probably right around like your, you know, sort of life cycle of the business, it wasn't possible, you know, the compute needed to do it. Uh, and to make that particularly on a mobile, you know, and all that, type. I mean, where did this even come from? Uh, you know, I mean, it seems like a very logical thing to do. And now you're starting to see, 
you know, general use cases of, you know, I don't know, walking through buildings or, you know, modeling and simulating different types of experiences. But I don't know, you were, you were on the vanguard of that. Like, wh- where did it even come from? Yeah, well, I mean, you think like you're at home and say you buy like a dishwasher or something's busted. The first thing you're going to do is go on Google and look at YouTube and figure out how you can fix it. Um, the Navy's just really starting to look at that and the entire Department of Defense and say, why aren't we doing you know, business that way? Why aren't our sailors able to pull out their mobile device and you know, have some type of Google capability to say, how do I fix this thing? And have that information presented straight mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, and then with, with our Genesis, I mean, it was initially, hey, we wanted to do damage analysis. And that was, you know, the government's been running these same simulations on big blocks for, uh, so for like a ship, they would, they would, you know, like flood fill the ship with uh, like three meter by three meter cubes. And that was the accuracy we were able to get at that point. Um, to do damage analysis. So if you think you're doing a, an ordnance explosion, it would intersect with cubes. And you say, okay, well, that's not accurate at all because you've got pipes that are, you know, a quarter of an inch thick. So h- how is this accurate? So uh, for us, that was that was the next logical step is how do we make this simulation more accurate? And it was, hey, let's get, let's get the actual production models for building these different platforms. Um, and let's actually see what a, what a real damage scenario would be versus this hypothetical uh, perfect world simulation. So I mean, how do you, how do you model ordinance i mean this must be like a, a pretty robust i don't know like i want to say game or physics engine right i mean how do you know what a certain thing is going to do based on where it hits there's a lot of math tons of math yeah i mean we've, we've got a lot of math libraries in the back end um, there's a lot of stuff we do there's a lot of government mandated systems that you need to use when doing these types of, of scenarios so there's different simulations you have to use and different uh actual physics you have to integrate. And there's been a lot of research done too. So you can take a research paper on something like fire propagation, where they've actually run fires on board ships or in those types of environments. So you kind of know what the results should be uh, and take the math and the, the research that's been done and integrate it into your, your own platform. And how do you ever know you're, you're right? I mean, are, it's not like anybody ever like lobs a missile or something at a ship until that actually happens. Right. I mean, is, is it that good that, you know, the predictive analysis has, has come along that we, we literally can model stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, there is a, a element of chaos to it, right, of, you know, different things are going to react in real life than what they would in the simulation. But based on, you know, if it hits here with this type of uh, weapon, we know enough about it to say, yeah, this is close enough. And we've done enough of the analysis and enough of a dry run manually through these different iterations to know that, yeah, these are the right results. Yeah, and the, the idea is to give a, a close enough estimate for a sailor who might be in this damage scenario. So we can simulate Which things like collisions. Right? has come I mean, up in the news a lot. Yeah, pretty hot in the news <laughs> in the past few years, right? Exactly. So we can simulate things like that and give real-world training of what would happen in this scenario. So you're prepared for these types of, you know, catastrophes because, you know, they they might happen. And why not, why not run a simulation to see, you know, what would I do in this scenario? And from a training perspective, if I'm a sailor and I'm looking at a screen that's giving me some indications like pressures and temperatures and network status throughout the ship, um, from a computing standpoint, it just needs to be good enough to show that, yeah, the pressure's going down or temperatures are going up. And these are the actual types of indicators that you're going to see if this casualty was to happen in real life. Hmm. So, yeah, okay, you talked about, you know, uh, I read on the website, you know, we started with seven dudes and now we're, and now you said, you're, you know, you're 70, 70 people, you know, things, things scale up, the world changes over, you know, um, a relatively short period of time. And what, what have you learned there? That's, that's pretty rapid scale. 
uh, for an engineering, you know, company. Certainly there's, there's more or less that, that can happen, you know, the hyperscale type of situation. Um, but you know, you're well past the two pizza team now. So, you know, what, what have you learned along the way for people who, you know, happen to be successful and, and want to get there? Yeah. Well, so first we've always been a five pizza team, even when there is only a few of us. Especially a happy hour, um, a happy hour lunch day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess my advice would be, you know, always be forward thinking. Um, I think a lot of people kind of get complacent with this is kind of what my app does and this is our core competencies. But, you know, we, we were forward thinking of we built this analysis app that's kind of niche that we need a bigger market if we're going to expand our team. How else could we use that? So we got into the training realm, which then got us into the operational realm. But then some of the things we've been talking about, like augmented reality and starting to take this platform and put it into what we think the future is going to be and being able to market that early so that we, we know that we have the right people, we've done the research, we have the expertise so that when that technology is ready, our company will be ready as well. And I know there has been a dramatic push, right, in the last, you know, 10 years for government to get more agile and to change the way that the software is is built and procured, you know, where something like this would have been, you know, a massive spec and waterfall it for the next three years before you even turn it on. I, I guess that's not the case anymore. You've probably experienced that in, in kind of real time. Like, how have you, how do you manage projects, you know, of, of that scale and magnitude? I mean, a, a lot of it, so a lot of it comes back to, like you're saying, the agile side of things is one of the key key principles is trust, right? So from a, from a hiring perspective, from a, you know, integrating new customers to new products, it's all, it's all built on trust and that relationship you have with your customers, with your, you know, your, your coworkers and everything. I mean, when we started, we based ourselves off the Spartan failings, right? Like we had seven dudes who had to conquer the world, right? every single person in that shield wall had to be strong. So bringing new people into that team was really hard. It's hard for us to let go of, you know, Matt's like, okay, Christian, take care of all the coding stuff. That was pretty hard for him. And for me now to come in and introduce new teams, that's a really, really hard thing to do. So I think the, the biggest learning lesson for me has been that trust aspect. And when it, when it comes to new customers and new projects, it's the same thing. We're able to show them these, these awesome capabilities and these awesome products we've built. We're able to tell them, hey, you know, it, it took us, only three months to, to simulate this full platform for you. And they're like, nah, I don't believe you. Try it, try it on this platform, right? And we finish it in you know a month. And that, that, that builds that trust and that relationship with the customer that can say like, okay, you, you are, you're awesome, right? Like you, you can do what you say you can do. Um, and just, just building that relationship is the, the big way of moving forward with new customers. Yeah. And the cool thing is we're, we're seeing the government actually adopt agile methodologies as well. We absolutely have contracts that are totally waterfall and you have to follow that, that type of customer and that type of workflow. But uh, we do have customers that are agile and they understand sprints and epics and how to structure that type of environment. And we're actually on a monthly basis coming back and saying, okay, this is our progress so far. What do you think? And they'll bring subject matter experts to give us feedback on it. And then we'll actually refine the backlog with them. And the things that we initially said in a statement of work are no longer the things that we're actually working on because it's evolved from the initial idea. Right. And, in, and with that with that OTA process, the new government style of contracting, they, they're they amenable to things like innovation sprints, right? I can bring the customer to our office and say, hey, you want a beer? Let's, talk down, like, let's sit down and talk about what you want to build. Uh, and we could actually whiteboard it. We could draw it up. And out of that, we come up with the, you know, the ROM that you'd have to do in the, in the government world. So we can tell you, 
this is exactly what we're going to build. This is exactly how much it's going to cost. And you know, this is when you can expect to see it. So, I mean, that, that's super, super useful and helpful for people in this environment who are used to getting deliverables at a yearly or, you know, biannually basis. Like we're delivering new builds on a biweekly basis. It's just unheard of to a lot of our customers. And now the customer is getting exactly what they want. They're able to give feedback. They're finding they're getting things faster, cheaper, and it works. So the audience, the audience can't see. So I'm going to describe here. We're on video and, and, and my, my dudes here, they, they look like a couple of hacker dudes. And, you know, we got beards, we got hats backwards, hoodies, you know, a couple of beers at, at lunchtime. And, you know, it strikes me that particularly even like, you know, you set out to be government contractors with a name like Beast Code and, you know, like, oh, whoa, culture clash. You know, there have got to be some good stories there dealing with, you know, oh, government man. procurement and military applications, um, you know, the, the clash of the, the cultures there. I, I got to hear some stories. I mean, it, it's definitely the shock and awe approach, right? Because we're a bunch of these kids walking around in, in hoodies and in Marvel shoes, right? So Matt goes and he can brief, you know, Congress or the Senate on our product. And he's wearing a hoodie and Marvel shoes, right? And everyone's like, who is this kid in D.C.? talking about software who's changing the game and it, it's disruptive, right? I mean, we can, we can come in, Matt can demo our product and they're like, just in all of him, they're saying like, no one within a 10 mile radius is wearing a hoodie. And here you are representing the actual industry and people who are doing this and, and you're delivering on your product. So, I mean, it's, it's a whole different experience for people and, and we get nothing but praise from our customers on, you know, our appearance, our professionalism, even though we're wearing hoodies or have, you know, long beards or whatever. Uh, I mean, they love it. All of our customers say like, I love that you wear t-shirts and you don't have these multi-million dollar buildings where you're, you know, showing off your wealth and how much money you've made off the government, right? We're, we're small. We, we want to get the, the capabilities to the warfighter that they need. And that, that's our, that's our main focus, right? We're not focused on wearing suits and ties, you know, every day. Yeah. And it's not just going out to their sites or going to Congress or something wearing a hoodie. Uh, we've had large meetings where we brought the government to beast code. And they see the open environments of people talking together. And again, nobody here is wearing a suit. Um, everyone has, you know, beards and drinking beer, but mm -hmm. they're all polite. And they they see all the teamwork that's going on. The government's able to actually talk to people and have a real conversation. Nobody's, you know, scared to say anything. You know, a government customer can walk by and see something on a computer screen and say, oh, man, that looks really cool. And that programmer is going to show them what they're working on and be able to talk about it. So the government loves coming out with these kids. And, and it's really good for the government uh, customers as well, because they can come in and see a different way of doing contracting a different way of getting deliverables. They don't have to, they don't have to accept this one year long waterfall methodology. They can see there's companies out here doing this. You know, we're, we're not an exception to the rule. There's, there's tons of companies that are all in, you know, the consumer market or the commercial market that do similar things to what we do, but they, they can have that as well. And I think they're actually coming around to it. More, the more exposure they get to that, the better. And one of the other things is leaving all of our architectures and our code open. Um, a lot of our industry competition, everything's proprietary, and they're not going to give that to the government. But the government knows anything that they get from Beast Code, they have full rights to it. They can copy and paste it onto another computer. If they want to go with another vendor to have them make modifications to it, they have all the source code and they can do that. Um, so they're, they're very surprised that we're willing to do it, but... That's just one way that we stay competitive and cutting edge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, if I could paraphrase, I was thinking you really leaned into the 
the authenticity and the culture that that you wanted to to bring did you ever have a sense that 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 was a danger zone you know at the beginning like was that were you less sure in that or were you just like yeah, we're just going to go balls out and be crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, when we, when we started, we were definitely a little more conservative. You know, we're, we're seven dudes. We're going out to a customer site where we're going to talk to a captain or an admiral and give some type of demonstration. And it's intimidating. Um, but as we've grown, um, we found out that they're okay with it. That They really care about the technology and the product that you're bringing and ensuring that the warfighter has that in their hands and it's working and helping them. Um, they're, they're less concerned about, are you wearing your suit today? The hoodie's okay. <laughs> and it, we're definitely a lot more memorable in that regard because we're not <laughs> some different contractors, right? When, when we first started, I would, I would suit up every day, right? Because I wanted to look professional and I thought that's what the environment was. And then Matt's like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to wear my Beast Code shirt. I'm going to wear my Beast Code hoodie. Uh, and they loved it. They would always see him. And we had an admiral come back and they're searching through the government program office is saying, hey, where's that kid from Florida with the with the hoodie? I want him on this project. And then his guys came down like, who was it? Who was it? They found him. And then here we are on, you know, multiple different venues uh, doing projects for these people. So, I mean, it's help. It helps that our product's awesome and our, you know, our, our culture is all the way behind it. But yeah, absolutely. It was it was scary coming in initially. Yep. But different. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun. You know, it's it, I think it's easy to look back and and uh, not notice the the trailblazing nature of like where did the the fear set us off, you know, and and taking taking that chance and and I frankly I see that in a lot of a lot of industries, you know, finance it struggles with that and healthcare and you got to dress a certain way and act a certain way and higher ed, you know, all these things. So it, it doesn't surprise me that uh, the differentiation of culture. You know, makes a huge difference. Now, obviously, you need to produce and you need to, you know, come up with a, a badass uh, product. But it, it gives you the opportunity to uh, to brand in a way that people probably in your in your industry with your customer class, you know, have, have done a very poor job branding, you know, and and have not uh, established, you know, just even the name and you know all those things. You know, it. I can imagine it would it would be easy just be like you know some. Um, acronym of a name that that sounds very government contractory, you know, and would fit into any low rise in Northern Virginia, and you kind of gone the other way. So, you know, I think that's fun. Um, you talk about the hiring process. You know, you you do need people that fit in there a lot, and you need, I imagine, a very high level of tech technical acumen that you know to, to inspire specifications and techniques and, you know, all the things that, that you're doing, how does all that factor in? Like, what's the hiring process look like? So I would say first and foremost, it's passion for the, for the industry. Um, so we're, we're definitely looking for aptitude. We're looking for experience. We're looking for, uh, you know, what, what's driven this person in the past, but we're looking for a culture fit and we're looking for people passionate about developing code. We're looking for people who are interested in solving really hard problems. Um, because if you're passionate about it, then our senior level guys can teach you how to do it. If you really, really want to know, because I think Christian and I were both very passionate about programming, you know, we got really good at it because we're working after hours on our own projects and trying out different things and new technologies. That's how we, how we grew. So if we can find someone that has that same type of passion, we know that, you know, three to six months from now, they're going to be a great developer. 
Um, but we do also have the whole testing process where we'll bring in our senior level guys and they'll ask a whole bunch of questions. We have a standardized list of those and get them up on the whiteboard and see how they're going to react under pressure and kind of test some of the basic knowledge principles of programming or whatever type of position that we're testing for. We have a really cool uh, process called the Jack Scott method. Uh, so it's uh, two of our d developers who are, are senior. Jack uh, and Scott. They are uh, at each other's throats always in a really funny, you know, like, Dwight and um, Jim. Dwight and Jim. Jim. Yeah, yeah, Dwight and Jim relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. They walk in and say, you know, screw you, Scott. Screw you, Jack. It's perfect. But when we go into the the actual interview process, it's kind of good cop, bad cop. But they're they're very interested in testing people how they how they deal with stress, how they deal with new problems, um, and it's just a really really cool way to see a person's personality and you know how well would they fit in this culture of you know we joke around all the time we drink beer but we solve hard problems that's what we're doing we're building awesome products so um being able to expose them to these different problems and these different processes that we already do in the in the agile process is is awesome but yeah absolutely like like you were saying it's, it's hard to find people who uh are are qualified and dedicated to do this but it's really like we're not looking for a piece of paper to say Yep, you graduated with this degree and you have this specific certificate. We're looking for passion. Um, I mean, and there's definitely a really big difference between like a good programmer and a great programmer because there's a lot of people that know how to program and they've gone to school and got the degrees and they they understand the principles. So being able to actually have that out of the box thinking is what really makes a great programmer. So it's difficult to find those individuals and bring them on the team. I've I've heard you say, you know, several times the the sailor and uh, how did you describe the the sort the war? What was it? The, the infantryman. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that uh, there's there's a a very high level, I'll say, user empathy there. You know, with with high stakes. And I, I wonder where that came from and how that that got developed. You, you hear about customer empathy. And, you know, customer experience and all that stuff. But I, I sense in the way that you talk about it that you have like a, a kind of a visceral connection to that end uh, performer that whose life you're making very different and better. Uh, where's that come from? Yeah, so we're both military brats. Um, in the area that we're in, Fort Walton Beach, we have a lot of different military bases. So a lot of our employees do have a military background. Um, we have a lot of subject matter experts on staff that are retired military. Um, and part of our onboarding, we call it Beast Academy. We'll actually walk them through what is the company, what do we care about, do all the administrative stuff. But then we'll actually have those retired military guys come in and talk about you know, their time while they're in the military. And if they'd had a product like this, how it would have made a difference in their lives. So people understand as they're developing that they're not just building a product, they're actually changing someone's lives. And it could, you know, it's the difference between life and death sometimes because these people are actually you know, driving a weapon system and, and they're going to be in those types of environments where they're going to have to make quick decisions and our products are going to help them make those decisions. And it's also really big to like expose our developers and our product owners and everyone in the chain to our customers. So anytime I go out and do a customer visit, I'm bringing a dev along with me, right? Because I want them to experience what I experience every time I demo to someone and they say like, whoa, hold on, can it do this, right? And like just seeing that passion behind the customer and seeing the the surprise in, in our product versus what they're used to is huge. And if that doesn't drive passion in a developer, I don't know what will. So every exposure we can, we bring devs out, we bring product owners out, and they're going to experience, uh, like you said, that empathy. I mean, they're going to they're gonna gain that by seeing exactly what change we're making in these people's lives. 
especially if we can actually get them out to like a ship so they can actually start shadowing the engineers on that ship or the different types of jobs they're doing. And they can see firsthand what is it they have to do on the day to day because then developers are going, oh, man, we could automate that. We could do this and this and this. We could put this in the app and we could make it that much better. Yeah, very, very cool. All right, I'm going to shift gears. Uh, I've got I've got the lightning round here, so I hope you guys are ready to be creative. All right, this is this is very important. Star Wars or Star Trek? So oh, personally, I'm Star Trek. Christian, I got to be a Star Wars guy. Or yin and yang. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's a good partnership. Um, <laughs> what are you reading right now? I'm reading The Awakened Ape, which is not at all in the industry at all, but it's it's more about a uh, people interaction and personalities and how people come to, to think the way they do think. Nice. I'm not reading any books right now, but we are revising a lot of our administrative policies. So I've been reading those at night. <laughs> yeah. Just some light reading. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I, think, I think Christian wins. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't get to, I don't get to get points every time. <laughs> um, what can't you live without? That's tough. You want to guess mine? I'll guess yours. <laughs> you go first. All right, Christians would be sushi. <laughs> oh man, that's okay. Yeah, you got me there. Oh man, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah, there's like a dating. I don't know that I can see awesome. yours on camera. Oh. <laughs> uh, no <kidding>. comment. <laughs> I think sushi is a very good one for me. I think mine would be coffee. Coffee. I was going to say yeah. tea. Tea, tea, coffee. tea a lot Caffeine. recently. Yeah. Caffeine. Right. <laughs> What's the last thing you Googled for work? Mm. So we've been doing a lot of pivoting into the web environment. Um, so we're, we've gone from a, a really C++ OpenGL uh, stack over to let's, let's put this all on the web. So I've been looking up different types of you know, server-side rendering, um, different ways of increasing that. So we have we have terabyte large sets of data that we need to process and visualize. Um, so we're we're looking into different ways of doing that right now. So I think the last thing I've Googled was the server side rendering. Mine's a little more boring. Uh, we're working on uh, a new server infrastructure here. So uh, <laughs> I've been looking at different VM solutions and trying to compare which one's a, a better industry standard to go with. Man of many hats. I knew I knew you were the engineer. I try, yeah, still. I try and keep them out. Yeah. Like that's my job to keep them out of the engineering side. But man, I have a lot of secret projects he doesn't even know about. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I love that you I love that you talked about Jim and Dwight because actually that's my last and final question is so there's this there's this classic episode right of the office where uh, Jim is messing with Dwight and he's sending him faxes from Future Dwight. So I like. Um, the coffee is poison yeah. and yeah, yeah, right, right. So I like I like to ask everybody, you know, so imagine that I gave you one sheet of paper, just one, and a Sharpie, one of those thick ones. And I want you to send a fax back to yourself like 10 years ago. What do you write on the paper? Man, it's going to sound really corny, but I would write Matt Zimmerman. Super cute and oh, super wow. corny. Yeah. Wow. But man, this like now a dating app. Yeah, this is a dating app. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, so in our in our past life, we met as both interns, right? And I'm I'm going to college at this point, and Matt asked me, "Hey, like, you want to jump off and start this company?" I'm an intern. I'm in college, and I'm like, "Holy shit, do I do this?" I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it." 
So I drop out of college, we start this company, and now here we are. We own a business five years later, we're booming. I mean, this is an awesome experience. So I mean, yeah, living the dream. Definitely like figuring this stuff out was the path to be on. All right. So I shouldn't have started. That was really corny. Your turn. I mean, how do I even top that? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Anything to say now. <laughs> yeah, you're just a jerk either way. So. Yeah. <laughs> Something CEO like. Instead of Matt. I didn't know you felt that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Something uh, maybe never sleep. Uh, as part of our tagline, the software never sleeps. Um, yeah. Maybe don't be afraid. Just go for it type type deal. Something like that. Do it. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> Sniping interns. Yeah. <laughs> the intern. Fantastic. Well, guys, this is, this is a lot of fun. Um, love what you're doing. You know, it's, it's good. Thanks for sharing the insights and, and all that. And uh, love hearing about Beast Code. So we'll keep our eyes on you. Yeah, thank you for having us. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. It was nice meeting you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.